Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. It's so great to be here. Joining me in just a moment will be Joy Fan, and Joy is the founder of Retail, which is a company that's rebuilding uh, storefronts and providing access to brands to be both online and in brick and mortar. Um, As always, be sure to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of corporate partners. And we'd love for you to subscribe to our YouTube page at Women to Watch Media. That's W, the number two, W, Media. So now I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show, Joy Fan. Thank you so much, Sue. Wonderful to have you. Um, And just so our viewers know, you're joining us from New York. I am. Um, And, uh, but I'd love to start with a little bit about your background um, in New Orleans, which is where you were born. Um, And I understand only there for about eight years. Um, About eight years. Yep. Yeah. And those are very formidable years. Tell me a little bit about what you remember about the community there. Yes. Um, I love the word community that you brought up because very much so we were, you know, we were, we lived in Metairie, which is the suburb, um, just about 15, 19 minutes away from New Orleans. Um, but my mom actually brought my sisters and I, so I have an older sister and a twin sister and brought us to the French quarter all the time. So our formative years was around seeing music and people just creating in the streets and dancing. So I think maybe that a lot of that may have been the infrastructure for for why I'm, you know, so involved with community work. And um, yeah, so that was our our formative years in New Orleans. Yeah. And then tell me what what took you to California, the West Coast? Yeah. So my dad um, went to medical school at LSU. And then when he got a job, it landed us into the Bay Area in Marin County. Okay. I know that um, you and I had a wonderful conversation a couple of months ago, and your father was um, a big influence in your life. And I wonder if you can share with our viewers what it was about your dad that you feel impacted your aspirations and desires to do something around, I would say, community, um, building, fixing things. Yeah, he was, he he was just a man of many strengths, but I think one of the things we always saw was that he was constantly working, but for the people. And I think when you're young, you think, okay, dad has to work all the time. So he's in the medical profession, um, running women's health 
in the Bay Area, um, in San Francisco. And so in, in our early years, he was always just, you know, anytime there was something to be done, uh, be supporting the community in different ways. And we just, yeah, we always saw that. Um, he was definitely someone who just worked a lot. And I think in seeing that, I was always very curious on, you know, what was going to be my impact in the world. Um, so, yeah, I think just watching him be so determined and uh, diligent on making an impact in the world was something that I always aspired. And can you share with me a little bit about what, what some of the challenges were for you growing up? I think you mentioned um, a lack of people who looked like you in the community. And that's always, especially for children, yeah. I would say young, very, very young. They don't even recognize it, right? But yeah, then you get to an age where we do. Exactly, exactly. We were brought up in the Bay Area, which most people think, oh, incredible. You probably grew up with a lot of Asians. The pocket of Marin um, in that time, in the 80s, there weren't a lot. And so we were very much grew up in a nuclear family where my parents, they worked. Um, and we were actually brought up by the malls. <laughs> and so my parents would basically drop us off and that we became our babysitters that we would walk around and why I think in the adoption of really wanting to save retail maybe that has has, has seeped into my mindset um, but yeah my sisters and I would just walk around for hours on end and maybe that was the first underpinning of why I'm you know a lot of the work that I do has been about asset management working with communities uh, rebuilding storefronts and neighborhoods. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm guessing having sisters, you know, you're all kind of in it together and you're able mm -hmm. to lean on each other and go through whatever experiences you had together. Were you close with your sisters? Super close, yeah. My, my sisters and I, we just, we played, we had fun. Um, so yeah, my older sister is about three years and she was really into music early on, which I think us coming from New Orleans just made a lot of sense. And then she just she was pretty entrepreneurial, too, um, and wanted to be a radio DJ in high school. So she created that club in which we followed suit. And um, yeah, I think I think a lot of being close to my sisters and having that nuclear family mindset, we just had to be super independent. Yeah. So tell me about um, your decision to go to um, University of California and um, it was env environmental design, I believe, was your major. That's right. Yep. And that's right. how did you? First of all, was that a good fit for you? Would you say both the major and that that school? Yeah. Um, at that time, Davis was the only school, University of California um, campus that had something in the design department, and so I was very. I, I actually went in as a pre med student and did that for two years, double majored in environmental design and pre med and found myself more curious about design work and then really set in on doing environmental design with a minor in marketing. Wow, so those are two completely different areas. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Both I would say challenging academically, right? Um, was there a, an experience or a moment where you knew, you know, med the medical direction was not for you? And, and what yeah. was it? As, as a young girl who very much adored her father, um, you know, you kind of, you walk in the path and proximity of maybe what your parents 
are doing. And um, I think more so I was really curious about design uh, and the environment in which, which creates cities. Um, I don't really know. You know, I think I, I, I wanted to manage both because I, I, I was thinking, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to do both, um, which in hindsight, I remember my mother having a conversation saying, look, in the studious version of you, you can go back to school at any time and pursue pre-med. But in a entrepreneurial journey, if you do want to do something um, in the startup space or in the design space um, or in the urban development state space, it's really keen to just get those roots of being able to get back up and kind of do the hard things and take the risks early on. So I think that was the conversation that led me to the, you know, the, taking the step towards entrepreneurship. Yeah. I like that your mom said that to you. Um, did, did it, was it ever a consideration to, per, to perhaps um, focus on healthcare? So in other words, design, mm -hmm. environmental design in the healthcare field it never you know I think I, I just became more and more curious about how cities were run how um it just it became something that I you know I moved straight to New York right out of college and I did some design work out in New York and then came back to San Francisco about four years later and that's when I got into real estate and I, just, I think it, it was the accidental path that really just led me to, you know, you kind of see something that is a big opportunity. You see all the guardrails of why it's not working and then you start to solve. And that was that was always something that I think always came up for me. So, yeah, I, I, that that's kind of the link to some of the stuff I'm doing today. Yeah. Um, for, for people that aren't familiar, the term I see the term urbanist. Um, how would you, what is that in, in the simplest terms? Sure. It's, uh, there's definitely a technical version, but I would say I've always looked at infrastructure and the way cities are built from placemaking to urban planning. Um, I fell into the technical side. So building a startup from ground up in 2012, and it was really to answer vacancy, uh, during the recession in 20, 2008. So that was, um, storefront. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So had, yeah. So how did that come to be? How did that opportunity present itself to you? Yeah. So I entered the work and um, in, in, into the field of work, graduating from university. And then um, I landed back into San Francisco around 2007, eight. So that was right during the recession. And, you know, I, I jumped into asset management but alongside of that, I was actually running these pop-ups with a bunch of friends. And having had the design bug in me, and of course, if you remember in that time, Sue, a lot of brands were, you know, jumping into the ether of the online world. Mm -hmm. And those were a lot of my friends who we were building brands, we were creating things. And so a lot of that creativity was really stuck in the online ether. And as the, you know, as the, as, as someone who really believes that you have to connect with the people, your audience, your customer, um, I was always saying, why not do start doing some pop-ups? So at that time it was called just sample sales or trade shows. Um, but we just started to bring together people and that was the first layer. 
of doing pop-ups and then really seeing that there was an opportunity to link brands who were building online to being able to surface them into physical retail. Okay. And if I remember correctly, the storefront was acquired in 2016, which that's quick. So that's five years. A lot of entrepreneurs, it takes five years to really kind of um, start rolling along, generating revenue. And um, you, you, and I'm assuming you had a partner or. Yeah. So it was a founding team. I was the first hire to run um, basically all of business development and worked with some of the great brands that you, that everyone knows of today. So Bonobos, Willie Parker, were all brands that we had worked with. And what Storefront did, which not a lot, not a lot of people recognize, is that pop-ups, that word in general, was non-existent pre-2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is that short-term real estate was not even popularized. People were very against it because at that time, it was 10, 20, 30-year leases was the common. Um, and so we just, we just, we, we collected the demand of brands who wanted to go into short term. And that became a market that ran globally. And so when we were acquired, it was by a European company and we went into a global um, marketplace overnight. Wow. That's yep. amazing. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's, um, that must've felt really good after the five years of what I'm sure was, you know, there's worry, there's excitement, right. There's building and, um, Tell me, before we talk about um, retail, tell me, what what is it about you that has allowed you to take risks, mm. which you, you seem to have done, you know, quite a bit? I would say that having seen my parents move over and immigrate and having, you know, building without a lot of it much, um, Maybe if I look back, I would have called them entrepreneurs, saying that they are taking risks every day. They have no. I, yeah, idea. I neglected to mention that they right. they were they came from Taiwan. That's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think no matter what you see, just you know, the opportunities are possible when your parents kind of come up with just different ways to put food on the table, um, with different ways to entertain us, and. That was, I I think that was the adoption that I had from my upbringing. My sisters may say something different, but I would say that everything that my parents did was to ensure that we had a better life. Um, And so that always stuck with me. I don't, I wake up knowing that the opportunity I give to give back is very much um, a part of who I am. So if I get to take my learnings and actually shift it into being able to provide resources for other people and their entrepreneurs, that, you know, that's that's something that I can be excited and proud of and really ensure that my parents see that they gave up the opportunity to be with family and have a steady life to being able to take risks and come and, you know, really build the American dream to give their three girls the opportunity to do whatever they want. And um, yeah, I'm always grateful. Yeah, I, I you know we talk often on the show about um, about just taking risks and and everyone has a different mindset when they do. Sometimes they're saying, "What do I have to lose?" Mm-hmm. Right, and you can always start over again. Um, how would you describe 
I don't like the word failure. I think it's trying something and then determining it's not the right fit and trying something else, eliminating that. Um, what, how would you describe your definition of when something doesn't work and it's time to pivot? Yeah, I would say that it's always evolving. So I look at it more as there's opportunities everywhere. I think some people use different platforms um, for different things, some to amplify, some to fix. I, I, I'm in the bucket of fixing. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you hear it three times and someone you know, says, hey, why are vacancies rising? You just look at the people around you and say, okay, cool. Can we do something and fix it? <laughs> and I just go into the bucket of, great, well, let's, if no one's raising their hand, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so enough times, it's rather more the impatience of seeing that it's not necessarily failure, but the, the willingness to always raise your hand and saying, great, who's up for it? Let's do this. And um, yeah, that's, I think, more the mindset and the bucket that I sit in. Yeah. Um, Listen, we're going to go into our first break. And when we come back, I want to talk about retail and how that came to be and what really your your vision is um, for the for the future and real estate and all these empty buildings. Everyone's wondering what we're going to do with. Um, Stay with us as we go into our break and you'll hear from um, our corporate partner, Visit Philly and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We'll be right back with Joy Fan. People are super nice and well, it's like very walkable. I already have like 15,000 steps today. I think the Schuylkill is pretty nice. Like obviously the Greenhouse Park yeah. is really nice. Philly has some of the best food ever. Definitely Badia. How could you not? I went to a lot of recently. Fantastic. Philadelphia has always been a great scene for food. We've always had great Italian food. There's great Mexican food. If you go to West Philly, there's a ton of like Indian and Ethiopian. There's all kinds. Just skate around Philly, just cruising, listening to music. Come across the mural, it's just amazing. They're big, colorful, I love it. We chose Philly because it's one of our team building and go check out the art. I think one of the coolest parts of Philly is the murals and the street art. And I don't think it's something you should necessarily like go out and look for, but something that you should find on your own. You're getting on the damn train. Everybody's got their jersey on on Sundays and whatnot. Like, I love it. The Phillies were in the World Series. The soccer team was in their championship. And the Eagles, you know what I'm saying, could have won a Super Bowl. So if New York and Philly were at a party, New York would be the one that would need to be the center of tension. And they're going to make sure that everybody's taking shots with them. Philly's going to go with it, and they're going to have a great time, and they're going to be like the hype man, but they're actually going to last a little bit longer because they're going to go like harder, nitty-grittier. We are CHOP. 
and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this week by Joy Fan, and Joy is the founder and CEO of Retail. And I'm going to let her tell you what that is. Um, and and actually, I, I'm curious what happened between the two 2016 acquisition of Storefront and then the launch of Retail. Yes, absolutely. So I actually took a stent um, and built a consultancy arm. Um, in which I worked with many REITs like Westfield and um, Maceridge. And that got me the opportunity to build some things called uh, retail as a service and um, worked with. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Many, many amazing clients like Theta, um, 
and also brand specific brands like Roan to build out their retail strategy. Um, and then I, when we got acquired, I then got to run um, all of US as the GM and chief creative. Um, and that was in 2017. And in 2019, I finally left to go out on my own. I still had my consultancy arm. So it was really important for me to continuously work with brands who I felt like needed to, you know, either continue to branch out. And so that was, um, that was the, the, fa- the, the space I was in between 2016 and then between building retail. Um, and retail came during the pandemic you know, we all remember March, 2020, I think I was sitting around and we were, were the first hundred days in New York city. Um, the highest vacancy rate that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I think in, in many within the past hundred years, um, I would point out some stats. There was about 36% vacancy during, I, I would say April of 2020, May, June, and everybody was optimistic but it felt very familiar. And I, I remember just thinking, oh, my, my stomach was gutted with the idea that so much of the work that we had done over the past 10 years was completely um, mm. flatline. And so, you know, clearly it was something that very passionate about, walked around checking in with, you know, our neighborhood barista, our neighborhood retail store managers, and just making sure everyone was okay. I think what people don't recognize is that the store owners or the GMs, it's very hard to keep up. And I, I Sue, I don't remember if um, where you were at during that time, but so much of it was the volatility of staying open, closing. Um, and anyone who runs a business understands that keeping a schedule and making sure that your employees are getting paid is, you know, doing it uh, in a normal situation is already hard. Having also government mandates of things being closing, having a quarter um, uh, being um, uh, the occupancy was, I think it was half to a quarter. And that meant that a lot of the businesses lost out on full occupancy. So, you know, I know that the, um, the city, New York City, was doing a lot of things to make sure that there was dining outside. But in between that, a lot of the storefronts were shutting down. And so really and to combat that, we looked at how do we ensure that we create four wall profitability for storefronts without them being displaced. And so you can imagine if we have just pure um, inflation of products, people would rather than buy a coffee maker at home rather than grab a coffee that's going to be $10. And so how do we ensure that we create that balance? We created retail just to take excess space and turn it into access for online brands so that the existing storefronts um, and owners and operators could actually then you know drive some revenue, recurring revenue for the excess space and then on the flip side, online brands can actually grow their footprint and start to learn things from their customer. So is all of what you're doing um, shared space? So there are multiple right. brands within one space? That's right. So to spread the cost. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So in summary, yes. So retail is a B2B marketplace and a booking platform so that online brands can actually book excess space and storefronts then can share on that space to, again, gain revenue, 
to be able to have relevant products in their space and start to test out different products within their space. You know, I'd love your just your view on this. People say um, with technology, you know, um, all of the stores are going to go away and everyone's going to sit at home and be on their laptops uh, <laughs> ordering things, right? And I just think that completely goes against human nature, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're social beings. I don't see that ever happening, that there will always be a mix of needing to be out and about to socialize, but also to see products firsthand and touch them and feel them. And, you know, what is your view on that? I think with every generation, you have individuals who are sought out to 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 innovate and use technology in different ways. Um, I have been and always will be a big proponent of in real life, we are human first. And I do see that we're kind of over-indexing now and live events are happening strong. Conferences are doing their thing. And so there there will always be that. I think one area in general is humanizing how we share product. Um, Yes, there is going to always be the online ether. And I love the different platforms that have allowed for that to create some ease. But I do think discoverability still, and you're going to love this, Sue, 92% of discovery still happens in person. And what I mean by that is that if we are walking by and we're suddenly cold, great, we might grab a hat, a scarf, something like that. You start to see in your own life that if you are at a coffee shop, you start looking at a candle, you might purchase it. And so we're looking at as these things happen, how do we ensure that we have the right intersection of how discoverability happens and the access happens. And, you know, I think that um, no matter what we're going to, you know, people are, are very excited about AI. I do think that there will still be large component of how storefronts are run more efficiently. Um, there's going to be a lot of rezoning that happens, um, but it's going to be exciting because I hope that what we end up doing is saying that maybe the format of the storefronts will be smaller, but the way that we engage will have a larger impact. Right. Um, you know, you you worked right through um, 2008, the recession. You worked right through the pandemic. Both of those were scary times. People were just, um, you know, nervous and on edge. Tell me what what is your practice in life to get through those times of fear? Ooh, I, I, I've heavily influenced by my dad always remaining super calm, um, especially when big things happen. And so you can imagine, you know, growing up with a father who had to be called to the hospital, um, his beeper ringing all the time, you think, okay, well, these are big things. Um, Yeah, I think being able to just be calm and understand what can I do? And so that, that's always been um, something I go to. Um, the pandemic was hard. Um, there were a lot of things that within our own um, communities were being impacted. A lot of the Asian hate crimes were, were, were also um, happening all over the nation. And so, yeah, it, there was days where it felt hard. It felt harder than normal. But you just get to work. And um, that's been something that I'm so proud to have a community, also a partner who 
believes in the same things. And whilst we discuss internally, right, you know, you see things happening and it just feels unjust. What do you do to actually make that change? I think that a part of you're a very forward thinking person. And Mm -hmm. I think that's incredibly helpful, you know, when there are times and, and that really leads to solving a problem. Let, you know, let's fix it. Let's not wallow in it or look to the past, you know, um, and, and I'm curious how many are women are in your field? Ooh, within women. So I am part of women in prop tech, uh, which is yeah. founded and led by, uh, Nikki Greenberg and was very excited to join this community because in the past 10 years within real estate, not a lot of women within just tech, not a lot of women. Um, so, you know, I could probably count on both hands how many women in the prop tech space that I'm very, very close to and the network is strong. It's very incredible. Um, but yeah, I'm seeing also a lot of young folk reach out and ask me, how do I get into prop tech or how, how do I get into entrepreneurship, startup culture? And that's always exciting because you want to be able to, you know, pull up the individuals who are just willing to try it. And and when you say prop tech, some people don't know. I'm assuming right. that stands for property technology. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's what's interesting. There's new fields of study that there's so many. Um, when we were growing up, there were, you know, your basics. And now there's all these new fields of study, which are kind of subdivisions of other you know, it was real estate. And yeah. now with technology, there's um, sub categories, I guess I'll say. Um, you, um, there's a something that you pioneered, I have here, retail as a service model. Yes. Tell me what that is. Yes. Yeah, so, so um, in working with Westfield, uh, the Lowys were very excited about using technology as a way to prop up um, how tenants were selected. And so they built something called Westfield Labs. Underneath that, um, uh, me and a team of incredible women actually built out something called Bespoke, which was a a mix between um, co-working space, um, experiential, and retail. And um, it was really fun because we took 40,000 square foot of Westfield space. It was on the fourth floor in San Francisco. And we designed and built out something that would offer up different exchange of how retail could be leased. And so they definitely took different parts of that and used it as learnings to build out the rest of their portfolio. But that was an exciting time. Obviously, WeWork was growing, growing, growing. And so we took a piece of that and said, great, why not build out how retail and shopping malls could be? So we it was a testing ground. Um, so retail as a service became something more acknowledged by REITs, more acknowledged by developers. And it meant that, you know, how do we ensure that online brands can start to outfit a physical retail in a different way? So more templated. Um, it definitely was a generational thing of that, of that era in the 2010 to 20. Um, and I think that now, you know, you're seeing different technology show up in different ways. Um, companies like uh, Leap are doing different things and helping brands do more of a retail as a service model. Um, Beta was another one that um, was really exciting and was able to have brands test out their product. We look at it as being 
purely technology. So we don't have any assets um, in regards to real estate. And we look at as great, we are a platform that purely provides booking opportunities for any storefronts who have access and then any brands who even online um, and off our legacy brands who want to test different markets and grow their footprint physically. Um, can you tell me, you know, there's an abundance of empty malls around and people are always wondering, what are they going to do with those? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I, I do think that, um, I think we're going to think very differently about how space is being utilized. There's so many great companies who are thinking about how we work, how we play, how we interact, how we communicate. Um, I do think it's an opportunity to think about things from a larger standpoint, like how communities are run, how education is run. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we start to engage more private and public sector and take the data points that we already know exist and start to collapse it into solutions that, uh, really say, great, there's so much private ownership of this land. How do we actually serve the public sector of education, of healthcare? And so perhaps it'll come full circle and sue you the question about whether I would ever jump into healthcare. Perhaps that could be something in the future. But I do think what I love about infrastructure and especially real estate is that so much of how communities are built and how we connect with each other, how we communicate with one another. And then people are doing are, there's so much talked about in terms of smart cities or the 20 minute city. There's going to be more and more groundwork of how we actually create smarter cities, more efficient, but more compacted towards communication and being able to be more efficient around energy. Um, and I, I'm hopeful for all these things. Yeah. And how about the homeless um, community, that's a whole other topic that will will have to play into this, right? Yes. What do we do for all of these people? It's you know east to west, north to yes. south. Yes, and I and, and and I'm hopeful. You know, there were so many programs that during the pandemic served the the homeless community. Um, I'm hoping that we don't get it as more of a band aid, but rather. You know, how do we look at mental health and wellness and how do we look at these spaces that can actually serve as a community format for us to really learn about it um, in a larger sector? And so, yeah, there's there's so much that can be done. I mean, we can yeah. go on and on for hours yeah. on YouTube. It'll be years and years <laughs> of work for you, Joy. <laughs> Which is exciting, right? It, yes. Everything evolves. And I, I too have, I always have faith in, you know, human beings to solve problems. Sometimes it takes a hundred years. Sometimes it's just yes. a couple, depending on the, you know, the size of the problem. Um, is, is retail a, a private company or a public? Do you have investors? Yes, we do. It's a private company. Okay. Um, and again, we are super excited to continue to grow. We're now based in New York City, and we're going to expand this year to San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Miami. And what are you most in need of? You know, our audience is full of um, lots of incredible, um, bright, you know, people. What What yeah. would you say? Yeah, that you're looking for. I, I love I love other uh, women founders and entrepreneurs, um, but really individuals who are in the hospitality space. Um, 
I would say brands, direct to consumer brands, larger um, uh, executives in the brand space. Um, I would say anyone in real estate too, any investors yeah. as well. We love to share what we're up to and what we envision for the next 10, 50 years. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Um, my last question. So I, I know that there's always women in the audience that are looking for their next move. And some of them have big ideas um, as entrepreneurs themselves. And, um, you know, I, I'm not always thrilled with what's your advice for them, because I think everybody goes about things differently. But what would you say to someone who needs the belief in themselves that they can do it, that they can take the risk? There's always this saying about your network is your net worth. Um, I think often that that minimizes individuals who maybe feel like they're not in the big cities or haven't um, don't have access to the networks that most people um, would consider a challenge. And I, I, I think if you have an idea, just show up as it, share with some people and then they will share with more people. And network effect is just how much you believe in yourself. And so the more you share it, the more you share what you believe in, the more it just starts to grow legs, starts to grow roots. Um, and people, you know, you just go after it. I think it's, if it's hidden in, you know, the unsaid, it, yes, will, never, yes. it will never have legs. So Correct. you just have to tell people, even if it sounds crazy, there's someone who will say, that's a great idea. Or yeah. hmm, I'd, I'd love to, you know, tell me more. So yeah. really anytime someone has something. And I think also there's always going to be the combat of like, oh, is it like that? Or someone's built that. It doesn't matter. I think the best, best things are based on the individual, how their lived experience creates a better company, a better process, a better product. And so I find so many incredible founders that are women that are building the next generation of our products. And I just say, keep going. Yeah, they're fixing problems. And I, I love what you said, because it's true. The more people you speak to about your idea, it just amplifies. And networks are just relationships, right? It's just meeting people, sharing, you know, saying who you are and what you're doing and, and how I can help you, perhaps. That's correct. Yeah. Um, it was so lovely to have you on the show, Joy. I wish you continued success. And I'm going to be following. I'm excited about what you're building and what you're doing. Thank you, Sue. Stay with us uh, for our last break. You'll hear from uh, Penn Community Bank and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And I'll be back to close out the show. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between. For 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start. Supporting families as they grow and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are, and here we grow. We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, 
a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much for being with me. Next week, I'll be speaking with Molly Ruland, and Molly is the founder of HeartCast Media. Have a great week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.